glad Jesus set me free. I'm so glad Jesus set me free. I'm so glad Jesus set me free. Singing glory, hallelujah, Jesus set me free. Satan had me bound, but Jesus set me free. Satan had me bound, but Jesus set me free. Satan had me bound, but Jesus set me free. Singing true in your life today? Are you set free? I know I am, and I'll tell you, it's the best feeling in the world. So let's just bow our heads for prayer. Heavenly Father, we just come before you this morning so thankful, Lord, that you are the answer. And Lord, because of the blood of Jesus Christ, the willingness of Jesus to obey even to the death of the cross, Lord, and that blood that was shed, for the perfect sacrifice. And Lord, I just thank you that because of that, I can be washed whiter than snow and set free from the bondage of this world and the sin that is in it. And in you, I can have life and life abundantly. Lord, and the more that I get to know you, the more that I want that life that I experience in you. And Lord, I just pray this morning, Lord, as we worship you, we sing these songs, Lord, I pray that it would not just be empty words that we are singing because we know them or we're reading them. But Lord, would we just actually hear what we are saying to you this morning? Would we actually hear what we are singing as a uh, blessing and an encouragement to each other? And Lord, that we would we'd be lifted up to stand in high places with you. Mm-hmm. And Lord, that we would be filled with your Holy Spirit and know you more because of what you are doing here in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. God sent his son, they called him Jesus, he came to love, heal and
Well, I don't know how you guys have been doing it. I haven't been here for two months. But, um, yeah, if you have a testimony of what God is doing and, and um, just a praise report of what God is, you know, in your life, please feel free to share that in between the songs as we sing. You know, it's such an encouragement as we, as we sing songs that glorify and magnify who Jesus is to also speak of that, Amen. you know, of what God is doing in our lives. And... Um, I'll try to be a good example of that and not be quiet myself, but I know for myself, God has done way more in my life than what I am ever deserving of or in any way worthy of. Um, as we come back and, and come back and go back to work, I have to, again, put my focus. Um, it was hard to come back in some way. Oh, we were hard because we were so sick. But to focus on Jesus Christ and realize that it's it's all about him. It's not about me in any way. It's not about my family or everything being perfect for us. But it's Jesus Christ at work. And he is just as busy at work in me here as he ever is if I'm halfway around the world. He is not going to let me go. He is not going to turn his back on us in any way. He is going to continue to bring the trials of life into our into our lives to allow us to build our faith in him. And I'm thankful for that. It's hard to actually say that sometimes because we love everything being easy. Trust me, we have it easy. But the trials of life is what builds our faith in Jesus Christ. And I don't want to ever turn away from that or shy away from that. But I want to be as, uh, is it Paul that said all, I mean, uh, oh, now I'm going to misquote scripture. But the trials that we have, we're blessed because of them. And I want to be looking at them as a blessing.
felt a little grouchy with us, or, uh, you know, sometimes he just, he was human like the rest of us, but he was proclaiming Christ until his last breath, longing to be with the Lord. This morning, as we're sitting here, we see him there. I think it's a good thing for us to look at each other and say, let's talk about Jesus. Amen. I remember a friend of mine, some of you would know Nick Amooch, but that was always his thing. I'd love to, he'd come around, he'd be like, oh man, got to talk about Jesus. What's Jesus doing? And you know, so much, so many times we're too timid about that. Well, I don't want to like you know, sound awkward or weird, but you know what? If it's the most important thing in our life, it's going to come out and it's going to be what we want to talk about. I know if I had a brand new Corvette or Lamborghini sitting in my garage, I'd probably be telling all my good friends about it, right? Well, Jesus is sitting in my garage. Well, no, I mean, <laughs> um, he's sitting in my heart. So uh, same, same concept. You can follow me there. Um, but yeah, we should want to talk about it. Let's all stand together.
Forever.
What's her name? Karen. Aaron. Karen. Karen. I'm sorry. I'm. I'm. Susan. Okay. Sarah, would you? God, you created Susan, and you know her, and you love her, and oh God, I just pray that you would um, give her another chance to be able to uh, be saved, to call out to you. I pray for each one of the Christians there, Father, that are around. I pray that the words that they have spoken to her, Father, would go deep into her heart and her mind, and God, that she would repent of her sin and that she would believe on you and be saved. Oh, Jesus, I pray that you would please have mercy on her soul. And I thank you, God, that you are so long-suffering. You don't want anyone to perish. Your desire is to bring everyone home to you, Father. And I thank you so much for the, the life that we have here. And we know that it is for one purpose, and that is to share your glory and to share the good news of the gospel to those around us, Father, while we have time. And I pray... That we would not waste our time, Father, but, God, that we would um, seek your face and that we would not be ashamed of the gospel, but we would open our mouths because um, we never know when the last time is that a person will hear, and maybe it will be their only chance. God, you are so good to us. You are so great, and we just long to know you more, and I thank you for your goodness. In Jesus' name I pray.
story about um, uh, Booth in his, in his ministry when he would preach and he would preach so hard and he would preach to these uh, drunks and alcoholics. I mean, you just, they were the corrupt scum, you know, if you will. And they would be there and they would shred the hymn books when he would preach because they had nothing to do but sit there and they were in so much turmoil inside themselves that they would just shred the hymn books. What a blessing we have as we just sang. We have Jesus. He's the answer. That's what we need. To know Jesus. That's all I need. Cheers. 
You may be seated. Oh, you get read the books. Okay. So what do you want to do? Well, you guys don't start halfway, do you? Yeah, I'm going to show you a video today of some kids doing a song I can't do. I don't have the actual mobility of doing it. My head goes screwy. But we taught this one to them, so they taught us a song that we couldn't do. But all right. Wrapped up, tied up. Well, this thing is not very loud. Okay, we'll try this again. Huh? E? 
I think it's A or D. Mm. Wrapped up, tied up, tangled up in Jesus. Wrapped up, tied up, tangled up in Jesus. Wrapped up, tied up, tangled up in Jesus. Wrapped up, tied up, tangled up. Wrapped up, tied up, tangled up. Wrapped up, tied up, tangled up in God. I'm inside, outside, side to side in Jesus. I'm inside, outside, side to side in Jesus. I'm inside, outside, side to side in Jesus. I'm inside, outside, side to side. Inside, outside, side to side. Inside, outside, side to side in God. I'm upright, downright, living right in Jesus. I'm upright, downright, living right in Jesus. I'm upright, downright, living right in Jesus. I'm upright, downright, living right. Upright, downright, living right. Upright, downright, living right in God. I'm wrapped up, tied up, tangled up in Jesus. I'm Outside, outside, side to side in Jesus. I'm upright, downright, living right in Jesus. I'm wrapped up, tied up, tangled up. Inside, outside, side to side. Upright, downright, living right in God. I'm wrapped up, tied up, tangled up in Jesus. I'm inside, outside, side to side in Jesus. I'm upright, downright, living right in Jesus. I'm wrapped up, tied up, tangled up. Inside, outside, side, side, upside down, right, living right in God. Good job. Well, I'm glad to know your memories didn't fail you and you still remember it. Oh, as it was? Cast your burdens. Cast your burdens onto Jesus. For he cares for you. Cast your burdens onto Jesus. For he cares for you. Higher, higher, lift up Jesus. Higher, 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 lift up Jesus. Higher, higher. Jesus, for he cares for you. Cast your burden unto Jesus, for he cares for you. Higher, higher, lift up Jesus, higher, 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 lift up Jesus, higher, 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 lift up Jesus, higher, higher. Lower, 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 Satan, lower, 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 Satan, lower, 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 
job. All right, shall we do God's Not Dead Yet? You guys know that one, right? You like Cast Your Burdens better? Well, we just did it, though. Can't do all your favorite song over and over. It'd get a little boring. I, I did listen to my 11 favorite songs for 24 hours straight one time. I know. It was kind of weird after a while. Point of Grace got a little tiresome. <laughs> All right. Who's the king of the jungle? Or no, God's not dead. What are we doing? Which one? King of the jungle. Okay. D. Who's the king of the jungle? Who's the king of the sea? Who's the king of the universe? Who's the king of me? I tell you, J-E-S-U-S. Yes, he's the king of me. He's the king of the universe. The jungle and the sea. Hold up. Okay. What's the king of the jungle? Other than a hoo-hoo. Ah, does a lion go hoo-hoo? What goes hoo-hoo? A gorilla does, right? A monkey. You know, there was monkey. There was a monkey in Thailand, and the thing chased me. It wasn't no gorilla either. The thing was a little, little, little monkey. It stood about this tall. And we were up by the pool, and this little thing comes traipsing up. Oh, it's so cute, you know. There's a monkey. And well, all of a sudden... We were watching it, and then I wasn't paying attention, you know, like a good American. I was looking at my phone. And, um, and uh, all of a sudden, this thing got into my bag. I had the bag there uh, with some stuff, towels or whatever. And this thing pulled the bag over and starts trying to get in it. And the boys holler at me from the pool, Dad, the monkey. I'm like, hey, get away from here. And he just goes, whoo, right at me. And guess who jumped? Me. I went, oh, I see what you're, oh, that guy wasn't going to let me have my bag back. So I finally, I grabbed my flip-flops and I hit him off and I got him over to another spot and then he went over and he tore into somebody else's bag. And I wasn't so worried about that being a good American. And so I left him to take somebody else's and he got in there and he ate the chips. He took that chip bag and he just went right up and poured all the chips right into his mouth. And then about that time, that guy came over, and he hadn't seen what the monkey had done with me. So that guy came over, and he tried, and the monkey attacked at him, too. He jumped at him, and that guy jumped back, too. It's amazing how that little monkey would scare everybody. So now you know what a hoo-hoo, yeah, monkey. Huh? Oh, yeah, it had sharp teeth. He just hang, hang out right here, you know. I wasn't going to, I mean, I, I, I hit it with my flip-flop, but I wasn't going to hit it with my hand. That thing... Yeah. Mm. So, the funny nose? All monkeys have funny noses. Well, you're telling me things I don't know. Okay. <laughs> I've watched my share of wildcrats, trust me. All right. Huh? I know, there's a many. You can learn about insects on wildcrats. Who's the king of the jungle? Who's the king of the sea? Who's the king of the universe? Who's the king of me? I 
Patrick, you got a lesson? Where'd Pat go? Oh, there he is. This is... you be thinking about who these people would represent in real life. Alright? Alright. The three knights sat at the table and listened as the prince spoke. My father the king will give the hand of my sister to the first of you who can prove himself worthy. The prince paused to let the men take in the news. He looked at their faces, each weathered with smiles and scarred from battles. The three had much in common. They were the strongest warriors in the kingdom and they each wanted to marry the daughter of the king. The king had promised each a chance, a test to see which was worthy of his daughter. And now the time for the test had arrived. The test is a journey, the prince explained, a journey to the king's castle by the way of Hemlock. The forest, one night quickly interrupted. The forest, asked the prince. There was a silence as the knights thought about the words. Each felt a, each felt a stab of fear. They knew the danger of Hemlock, a dark and deadly place. Parts of it were so thick with trees that the sunlight never found the floor. It was the home of the Hopeknots, small, sly creatures with yellow eyes. Hopeknots were not strong, but they were very clever, and, they, and there were many of them. Some people believe the Hopeknots... alone. You may choose one person to travel with you. But the forest is dark. The trees make the sky black. How will we find the castle? This time it was Alon who spoke. He was not as strong as Carlos, but much quicker. He was famous for his speed. Alon left trails of confused enemies. He had escaped them by ducking into trees or scampering over walls. But quickness is not but quickness is worthless if you have no direction. So Alon asked, how can we find the way? The prince nodded. He reached into his sack and pulled out an ivory flute. There are, two, there are two of these, he explained. This one and another one in the possession of the king. He put the instrument to his lips and played a soft, sweet song. Never had the knights heard such soothing music. My father's flute plays the same song. His song will guide you to the castle. How is that, Alon asked. Three times a day, the king will play from the castle wall, early in the morning, at noon, and again in the evening. Listen for him, follow his song, and, he will, and you will find the castle. There is, there is only one other flute like this? 
Only one, the prince said. And you and your father play the same music? Yes. It was Cassidine who, asked, who was asking. Cassidine was known for his alertness. He saw what others missed. He knew the home of a traveler by the dirt on his boot. He knew the truth of a story by the eyes of the teller. He could tell the size of a marching army by the number of scattered birds in flight. Carlos and Alon wondered why he had asked about the flute. It wouldn't be long before they found out. Consider the danger and choose your companion carefully, the prince continued. And so they did. The next morning, the three knights mounted their horses and entered Hemlock. Beside each, beside each of them rode their chosen companion. For the people in the king's castle, the days of waiting passed slowly. All, all knew of the test and wondered which knight would win the princess. Three times a day, the king sat, sent his song soaring into the trees of Hemlock. Three times a day, the people stopped their work to listen. After many days and countless songs, a watchman spotted two figures stumbling out of the forest. No one could tell who it was. They were too far from the castle. The men had no horses, no weapons, or armor. Hurry, the king commanded his guards. Bring them in. Give them medical treatment and food, but, tell, but don't tell anyone who they are. Dress the knight as a prince, and we will see their faces tonight at the banquet. Here they come. He then dismissed the crowd and told them to prepare for the feast. The evening, a joy that evening, a joyful spirit filled the banquet hall. At every table, the people tried to guess which knight had survived Hemlock Forest. Finally, the moment came to present the winner. At the king's signal, the people became quiet, and he began to play the flute. Once again, the ivory instrument sang. The people turned to see who would enter. Who would enter? Many thought it would be Carlos, the strongest. Others felt it might be Alon, the swiftest. But it was neither. The king, the knight who had survived the journey was Cassidine, the wisest. He strode quickly across the floor, following the sound of the flute one final time. He bowed before the king. Tell us of your journey, he was instructed. The people leaned forward to listen. The whole knots were crafty, Cassidine began. They attacked, but we fought back. They took our horses, but we continued. What nearly destroyed us, though, was something far worse. What was that? asked the princess. They imitated. They imitated? asked the king. Yes, my king, they imitated. Each time the song of your flute would enter the forest, a hundred flutes would begin to play. All around us we heard music, songs from every direction. I do not know what became of Carlos and Alon, he continued, but I know strength and speed will not help one hear the right flute. What do you think his companion is? No. You have no idea? The king, asked the, the king asked the question that was on everyone's lips. Then how did you hear my song? I chose the right companion, he asked. And as he motioned for his, fellower, his, motioned for his fellow traveler to enter, the people gasped. It was the prince. In his hand, he carried the flute. I knew, I knew there was only one who could play this song as you do, Cassidy explained. So I asked him to travel with me. As we journeyed, he played. I learned your song so well that through a thousand false flutes, that, through a, that though a thousand false flutes tried to hide your music, 
I could still hear your song, and I followed it, and it brought me here. So who do you think um, the king, the knight, the king, the prince, and the three knights are? That's right. Who's the prince? Jesus. Good. All right. Who are the three knights? The angels. No. Us? Very good. The king, the king would represent God. The prince would represent Jesus. And the three knights would represent us. And the dark hemlock forest, that represents this world and the life that we're living right now. So every day, God is sending out a song for us, just directing us. And he gave us a guide, which would be Jesus. And he's the only other one that knows the same song as God. And if we learn it, we can do what Castine did. It'll take us straight to the castle, up to heaven. But if we don't know the song, then we'll, be, then we'll get lost like Alon and the other night. And then we'll just be lost in the forest. Because there is a lot, of, a lot of evil in this world trying to distract us from God's way. But if we learn that, if we know that song and know God's way, then it won't be too hard for us. And if we have Jesus as our companion, he'll help us through it. Because then he'll be able to teach us everything that we need to know. And then one day, we'll get to heaven just like Cassandra did. All right? All right. And hang on, you want to stand up real quick? There we go. Thank you. Also, you also, I did. And also, I want, can you guys help me pass these out to everybody? Make sure that everybody gets one. Or two. One or two. There we go. Because right, Carrie's up next, so everybody needs a little something to snack on. Hey, you have a lot to eat. There you go. You got some? There you go. Um, Can I get some batteries for this? going to try to reconfigure something yet or what? I'll start talking a while because I got plenty. Um, I was like, man, I don't know if I can talk long enough to fill up a, a whole sermon spot. And then I started looking at how many slides I had and I went, uh-oh, if I take even one minute per slide, we're going to be here a while. So just to kind of give you an idea like how long you could be here, when I met with Phil about our trip, it took four and a half hours. So... Um, and we were talking as fast as only Phil and I can talk, too, so uh, it, was, it would be a while. No, we, uh, my goal always was to take my family on missions trips, and I always, or I call them missions trips. What do you want to call them, a vision trip? You know, to go, I want to see what God is doing around the world. I wanted to take my family and show them what God is doing around the world with other people. And of course, the number one place I wanted to go is Thailand, because... 
I used to live there when I was uh, 18, 19 years old. We were based out of Chiang Mai, smuggling Bibles into China. And I love Thailand. And I love the people that I'm going to show you guys today. And um, so I could not wait to be able to take my family there. So that was, of course, the first place I wanted to go. And um, through COVID and everything, um, God was, he provided well for us through COVID. And then um, all my, uh, all the ways I buy fuel for my trucks and everything, um, we saved all our rewards because we weren't using them through COVID. And so when it came around to actually wanting to go to Thailand, we looked and, well, wouldn't you know it, the whole trip could be paid for by using our credit card rewards. So we felt very uh, spoiled in that, I guess, and um, very thankful that God just provided a way for us to go as a whole family together. So, um, and some of this is intertwined that we were on vacation, just so you know. I mean, this was a vacation trip, mission trip, uh, vision trip, whatever you want to call it. So you can kind of take the um, parts of it that we were just being a family that was enjoying each other and enjoying another country too. Um, let's see which way I'm supposed to... This thing... Not sure why I'm not getting what I want through this, but... Well, maybe if I do this, it'll make it work. Nope. There we go. I don't know if this... Yeah, that would work. Okay. So, obviously, Dreamliner, it didn't crash. We were in great shape. This was Tokyo. Um, we had a, we, our first flight was to Los Angeles, Los Angeles to Tokyo, Tokyo to Bangkok. And so we landed in Bangkok in the middle of the night. I learned one thing that I did not know from my time over there previously. A little blonde-haired boy will get you a lot of places. Because guess what? They've never seen, I mean, they don't see little blonde-haired little boys. They're a rarity, so they always are looking at Benny. So, of course, right through security into Bangkok, there is a line that's going to take us hours to get through immigration. And, um, and we're standing there just, oh. And all of a sudden, this other um, security guy comes over, and he's like, takes Benny, and he grabs us, and he tells us all to follow Benny. And he takes us over to another line, and we were gone. We were out. It was like, wow. So that was the beginning of Benny um, rescuing our family from so many situations. Um, but uh, so Bangkok, we, uh, we spent the first night there. Of course, we were jet-lagged out. Jake, mango sticky rice in Thailand is 10 times better than anywhere here because mangoes are the sweetest thing over there. I mean, they are candy. I literally would peel a mango and eat it like an apple right off the peeling. And then I had all that stuff stuck in my teeth, but it was a, they were so good. So we kind of, um, we got into our place and we think we were staying like 3 o'clock in the morning by the time we got out of the airport and everything. And of course, we're 14 hours ahead there from what we are here. But the boys with TV screens and everything on the planes, you know, they were on a entertainment craziness, you know, getting there. They hadn't slept much and everything, but we got in there, we slept for like, four hours, I think, that night, and then we went and toured Bangkok, and by like one, two o'clock in the afternoon, they are like dragging, and they're tired of Bangkok already. We learned to really not like Bangkok. I'm not much of a fan of Bangkok, but um, so we did that. This uh, 
we were there for one day, and then we spent another night, and then the next day we were there a little bit, and then we headed for um, up to Chiang Mai. So this here was, wow, that does not show up on the screen at all. Interesting. So the suitcase and stuff was full of shoes, so we had to walk, I think, what, a mile to the, to the tram to go. Everything is public trains and stuff you can ride on in Bangkok. But we had to walk a mile. It's great with the backpacks, but that suitcase rolling along um, wasn't as easy. But that was full of shoes that people had donated here or given here for the kids over there. So we were taking that up to May. Um, and I'm going to, um, I want to share with you a little bit about the Korean people. So how many of you know anything about the Korean? Okay. So not a lot. The Korean um, would have migrated down out of China, whether it's Tibet or Yunnan province up there or whatever, that's still a debate is where they migrated from about 2,000 years ago. They would have came down out of China. You're going to find out some interesting information this morning because I am like, I love, I love history and I really love when you can find out things about a people group. Now I've got to find where I want to read out of here. Okay, so the Korean are there. There's different missionaries that have obviously worked there. Um, anybody know a famous missionary to Burma? Adoniram Judson. Okay, but for the most, per, well, the most part, Adoniram Judson witnessed to the Hmong people, which would be more of the white area on that map. That was the Hmong, um, uh, the Hmong, yeah, Hmong people. The red is the Korean. So you can see Thailand. That line you're seeing through the red is the Thai border with Burma. And that is where the, the, the red is the Korean people group that live on that border. So they have often, they've always lived pretty much on that border. They kind of, the Korean used to be up over into more of the Burma area, but the Burmese pushed them back out through ethnic cleansing and there are different ethnic groups. So even while the British were taking over uh, Burma, because they, they conquered the they say civilized Burma. Um, when they did that, the the Korean people were not a uh, a protected people group. They were a people group that they uh, it was open season on. The British did not care about them, and so the Hmong people who were protected by the British and supported by the British pushed the Korean people closer and closer to the Thai the Thai, which is all the mountainous region in there. That's where they pushed the Korean. Um, there has been an ongoing civil war with the Korean and Burma for over 74 years. And they are still being hunted, killed at will. I mean, it is, I don't know how many thousands of people die there amongst the Korean every year in that ongoing civil war. The Korean don't really, they're not after anything. They're not trying to, only, their only goal is to protect themselves. And it really puts a different perspective on you know, I'm raised, you know, non-resistant, you know, you know, uh, but it puts a different perspective when you actually go into these villages and they are literally just trying to save their lives from people who are coming in just to kill them because they are who they are and who they were born to be. And yet there's many Christians amongst them. Um, so they were not, and they're not an educated, they were not a very educated people. They were a very, you know, um, uneducated, very backwoods, if you will, hill people. But they had a way of that they passed along their legends or their folklore to each other, and that was through chants and songs. That was They would sing them around the fire, kind of like the Native Americans would have. That's how you passed along your stories. 
This is where it gets really interesting. So, one of the most amazing... I'm going to read from a book. This is Alan Eubank, by, by the way. Have any of you watched Free Burma Rangers? A few of you have. Alan Eubank is the dad of Dave Eubank, who is the head of Free Burma Rangers. Alan Eubank is... Uh, I'll talk about him after a little bit here. This is from his book. Um, one of the most amazing chants is about creation, translated as follows. Yawah created heaven and earth. So Yawah uh, is a very similar to the ancient uh, Hebrew word Yahweh. So it's very common with the simplisticness of the Korean language to shorten things and make it more small. So Yawah is what they came with instead of Yahweh. They came to Yawah. Yawah created heaven and earth. The creation of heaven and earth was finished. Yawah created the sun. He created the moon. He created the stars. The creation of the sun, the moon, and the stars was finished. He created at first, he created man at first from the earth. The creation of man was finished. He created women. He did not create woman. He took a, how did he create woman? He took a rib out of the man and created again a woman. The creation of the woman was finished. He created again life. How did he create life? Pesah Father God, said, In respect to my son and daughter, I love them. I will give them my great life. He took a little piece of his life, breathed into the nostrils of the two persons, and they came to life and were, were real human beings. The creation of life was finished. He created again food and drink. He created rice, water, fire, cows, elephants, and birds. The creation of animals was finished. This is in their folklore legend that they sing to each other. Okay. Um, it also goes on to say, Yawal said, Eat not of the fruit. If you eat of it, you will fall ill. You will grow old and you will die. Once in seven, once in seven days I will visit you. Pray to me every morning and night. But the great dragon, the devil, persuaded the woman, Eu, Yawal was withholding the best from them and that only Satan loved them. He convinced her that if they ate, they would possess miraculous powers and would be able to fly to heaven and descend into earth. She ate of it and coaxed her husband to eat. Then Yuah cursed them to their disobedience, and they became subject to sickness, old age, and death. What a parallel. So, um, through there's different theories that have come in on why the Korean know these things. Like, where did, they, where did they learn these things? What was spoken to them? How did they know? And one of the theories is, is that one of the lost ten tribes of Israel had connection with these people back in 722, 722 B.C. They came down out of Syria and came down into them. So that is one part of the story. But there's another part, and this is the part that gets really interesting. And this is, they believe this, by the way, 100%, the people there. This is their, this is their heritage. This is their legend. This is their culture. This is what they believe. And so... I had never heard about the, uh, the Golden Book before. And then May, who you'll hear about shortly from my wife, spoke about this Golden Book to me. And I was like fascinated. I was like, okay, I got to figure this all out. Because I had never heard this part of that with the Korean before. So this is a story. So again, they're talking about Yawal. Yawal was about to go upon a long journey. But, for, but before he went, he called his sons and gave to each a book of life. To the Korin, the eldest, he gave a golden book of life. To others, he gave other books of life. Until finally to the white man, the youngest brother, he gave a white book of life. The white brother took his book and went away to the west and was not seen again. 
the Koran took his book of life, and as long as he read and followed it, his life was happy and his soul was at peace. But one day he left it on a stump in a field he was clearing, and when he burned off the clearing, the book was nearly destroyed. The pigs and the chickens ate the charred remains of it. That is why the bones of the chickens are studied to obtain omens. After that, the condition of the Koran grew worse and worse until all he knew were persecution, suffering, and hardship, even as we now endure. But there is a prophecy that the white brother will come and will share his book of life with us, Corinne. I don't know why it makes me cry. If you don't believe that God cares about people so much that he will put it into their very folklore of their existence, who they are, so that when the message of who he is comes, they receive it. This is the Korean people. And I hope I can share with you in a way today that makes you love them. I know you haven't met them, you haven't been in their villages, but I hope you guys come to love them, even in the way that I have, I have rekindled that love I had for them years ago, my family. Yeah, we just... I fell in love again with these people. I loved them 20 years ago when I was over there. My goal was always to live there within two years of getting married. I got married and I'm 20 years later and I'm still here. Or not quite 20 years, but um, I'm still here. And uh, God didn't allow that, but you know what? That love for these people and the way that they love... Um, their culture, and um, there's so much about them that is so wonderful to behold and be a part of. So I've got to take you guys, I want to take you on a journey with me in that. So this is kind of a map of Thailand here. Um, I wish this laser would show up on that screen. It is, that's a bummer. Um, trying to figure out how I can, anybody got a yardstick around here? You can see that? I can't see it. Oh, on the wall, but not on the screen. Um, anybody? Preston's got a drumstick? Okay. Let me see if I can make that work. Um, so obviously you can see Chiang Mai here, where Chiang Mai is here. Um, the first village we went to is this: these three stars in a row here. The first village was up there on the top of the third star. That is the village we are going to talk about for now. Um, it looks like it's close to Chiang Mai. Don't deceive yourself. That is not that close. Um, I think that was about a four and a half, five hour pickup ride. And over there, by the way, they don't believe in car seats. They don't believe in everything. We just ride where you ride and everybody's happy with that. Um, I can only imagine how many heart attacks my mother-in-law will have there. Um, so yeah, you just ride in the back of the pickup. So that's where my boys spent most of their time. And uh, so, yeah, so we'll talk about that. If Sukhothai is down below, we're going to talk about that later. That's kind of the middle, about halfway between Chiang Mai and Bangkok is Sukhothai down there where those three, um, where those three stars are there. And then we have uh, over here on the left, you see the, the Thai border. That is where we went into Burma. When we talk, I'll talk about that later there with Burma and into there. So... That kind of gives you an idea of kind of the area we were. I 
my wife is taking notes about what people say, I am marking pins on my map so I can get there again. Um, that's just how I process things. So this is kind of just an idea of where we were around uh, that area of Thailand. This here is uh, May. Um, the lady here in the middle, that is May. And um, I knew her back when I was in Thailand before I would have known her. She didn't remember me. Thank God it's one of the few people on earth that has met me and did not remember me. And I was very thankful for that. Um, and so this is her family. Um, she was not married when I had last seen her, but um, this is her daughter on the right is Blessing. She speaks Corinne, uh, Thai, Burmese, and also English, and is learning Chinese. So very ambitious. And she lives up to her very name of Blessing. I mean... Lord willing, uh, Blessing and her dad will be here sometime this summer, and uh, also another man that I will show you later on here. I'm going to ask my wife to come up and introduce May, and kind of talk about a little bit about who May is. Can you unmute this one? Okay. Yes. Um, so Carrie gave me... He just told me right now, a few minutes ago, that I'm going to be talking about May. But um, she's she's a simple girl who grew up in Burma, on the Burma side. She's Karen, and she grew up in a Christian family. Um, her parents loved the Lord, and uh, but with all the fighting and everything, they sent her out um, to live with relatives on the Thai side. So when she was six, she went. Um, to live with some other relatives. And that was really traumatic for her because they were not Christian. They were Buddhists. And she grew up with a lot of abuse and a lot of pain, um, even though she had been taught about Jesus as a young girl. Uh, but war and killing and fighting was just a part, is a part of these kids as they grow up. And so it's very common for uh, parents to send their children to the Thai side, if there is a way for them to get over, um, to try to have a, a better life um, just for survival. So she grew, um, she actually got to know GTO, the mission that he had went um, to when she was 18 or 19 and started working um, there with the Christians in the GTO. And she was born again. Um, she still had a lot of bitterness and anger from her childhood and all the things that she went through. Um, but God was doing a work in her and really helped her uh, to be able to help many teams that came over. Um, and she worked with the children's home there, helping with the kids. Um, and then she got married and had four children. And about... Three or four years ago, she, um, her husband was unfaithful, and um, they were just going through a lot of things as a family, and she was so angry and so bitter, and she, um, she just said, God, change my husband. You need to change my husband. And God said, I want to change you first. And so she started... Um, just having a, a different relationship with God. She saw how he wanted her to forgive not only her husband, but the, um, 
the many people that had hurt her in her life. And so she um, was just, God did an incredible work in her life, and she was able to forgive and to um, find hope and peace in Christ. And so she became like a whole nother person. Um, and her husband watched this change, and she said, I forgive you. Jesus forgave me. I forgive you. I love you. And he, God, completely saved his soul, and he was born again. Um, and so that was about three years ago, and their whole family has just changed since then. And now they go around sharing with the Korean people with her people, um, her testimony of what God, how God forgave her and she forgave him because this is a big problem with the Korean families. They're being, um, they're very broken and the um, husbands and wives are very broken. So uh, just last week or two weeks ago, she um, met with, or she went to teach at a, a conference and there's a thousand people um, there are a thousand women that are um, just hearing her story, and God is using her in such incredible ways. But she helps her people um, on the Burma side. Her heart is for the people. She said, I can't leave them. I can't, you know, look away. And um, But her faith in God is so simple. I said, May, how do you know you're not just going to get bombed? Because they're constantly being bombed. And she said, oh, no, you just listen to the Holy Spirit. If he has, if if he gives me peace, and and I know that there's someone in need, I go. You go. And she takes her kids. She takes her family. They all go, and they will bring supplies and help and literature and um, and she does this over and over and over again. But she said, no, you just listen to the Holy Spirit and you just do whatever He says. Mm-hmm. And um, that's just the life that she lives. Yeah. Thank you. I think she does so much better at telling May's story. I don't want to tell all of May's story because Lord willing someday she'll come here and tell us her story herself. Um, but uh, she is a very simple, they just called her a mountain girl. Alan Eubank, he said he won't, he won't go on a mission trip with, or he won't go even visit these people without her because she just, yeah, he loves her. I asked May one time, she was telling all these villagers what to do. I mean, uh, you know, these men tell them, da, 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 and I was like, man, are all current, are all Thai women like you? And she goes, oh, no, please, no, because <laughs> she is very, like, aggressive in there. I mean, like, if I, uh, my wife says we're two in the same kind of people, like, the way we go at things, we're just, haul, you know, full throttle forward, and, and we'll figure it out later if we, if we don't know what to do. Um, so this here is... Uh, like two weeks after we left, they had a conference. It was the first one that they had done that they had a women's conference. And the Korean women came in from all over the Korean areas of Thailand. I don't think many came out of Burma. But from the Thai areas. And they came in and May was the main speaker there to share with these women. It is such a thing with their culture to not understand how it is that God can forgive and move on. Like, they're right away, they just fracture their family, and it, their, fa- their families are already very fractured, but not to forgive. So her husband will stand there right with her. And I'm going to reverse my wife's timeline a little bit, because when he first, uh, he was a Christian, and then he was unfaithful to her, but then also a couple years later, so I think it was about five or six years ago that that had happened, and then he had been free, and they had been doing pretty good. And like, she was able to really forgive and move on with this, 
And then um, drugs came in. And drugs are running rampant through the villages of the Korean. And so as the drugs came in, he got addicted to drugs. And so again, everything kind of fell apart in their family life. And it was really hard on May. Again, like, God, you know, this was answered. You healed us. You were making us into a better family. And yet here we are again. But again, um, she was, the, he was able to come free from his addiction. And again, she was able to forgive. Well, this is resonating big time with the Korean ladies because they're dealing with this so much in the villages. So for May to be able to stand up there and for him to even, and the, the men are very quiet. They're not like the most aggressive guys you'll ever meet. Like they're not very leadership oriented. They're more than fine letting their women do all the work, lead out, do everything. They're just, that's the Thai kind of culture. And um, so it's not normal for them to be able to share like this. And then he stands there right beside her, just like you see in that picture there, as she shares agreeing with her and supporting her that, yes, this has happened in our lives and this is what God is doing. I love that because that is what the true testimony and the power of it is. But they were so excited. So this is, there is a picture of that, the meeting. Uh, these guys were running the sound. That's why the guys were there. This is a uh, picture of the group of things. I mean, the ladies, some of the ladies that were there. Um, and then they were so excited because 10 men came in to feed them. And May just thought this was wonderful. The guys were doing all the cooking. So they were like, she, had, she sent us all kinds of pictures of the guys doing the cooking. Like, she was just so excited about it. Um, and they did. I mean, they were, they were down. We met the last time we met with May. She was down in Chiang Mai getting supplies uh, for this uh, conference that they were having. So that is a very brief look into who May is. There's a lot to unwrap with May. I mean, I, I love that lady so much. She was a, such a blessing. We had, I didn't know who to contact over there to go up into the Korean and stuff. And I had reached out to some other people that had been there much later than me with some people I knew. And they were like, May's still around over there. I'm like, May is still around? They were like, yeah. And so I got a hold of her on Facebook, and that's how I got reconnected with her. May does... She, her whole life, her whole mission in life is to serve her people and the, the Korean people. She knows every children's home. She knows every refugee camp. She knows every, I mean, I don't think there's a village that lady does not know. And she knows everywhere there's needs. If you give that lady uh, 5,000 baht, she has a place for it to go faster than you handed it to her. She's spending faster than I could hand it. Um, I was limited on how much I could withdraw from my ATM card every day. And she maxed it every day. I was with her. I was teasing her. I was like, May, you only come around like with my ATM. Like the next day you need more. Okay, the next day. So, I mean, she always made sure I had an ATM uh, available to me. Um, but it wasn't for her. It was like she was selfishly spending it. I, I think I seen she got a foot massage at the very end of our trip, I think, for like $10. That was the most I ever saw May spend on herself. She just never spent money on herself. She just gave, and we did so much with that. Okay, I'll pause on May for a little bit. Alan Eubank. This is, um, this is the dad of Dave Eubank, the head of the Burma, Free Burma Rangers. He has been over there working since the mid-1960s. His wife was a Hollywood actress, uh, or a Broadway actress, sorry. So she had a, like, a lot of contact. She was really good friends with the queen of... Um, uh, the Queen of Thailand, 
And they've had a lot of good inroads even into the royal family because of some of the relationships she had through Broadway. And because of that, they were able to work in there. Um, Alan Eubank, they live there still. I met with him one afternoon. I could have sat there for days listening to this man. He has so much to say. Just a godly man who has such a heart for these people. And he's 94 years old. And I sat there with them for a couple hours, and it was really, it was really a blessing to do it. They are one of the few uh, that support May as far as they know who May is and stuff. May really has no support whatsoever of missionaries from the U.S. or anything. She has a team of about five, and they give and give, but it's, it's not like they're rich. They have no money. I mean, her husband makes about $29 a day. And that's their job. And that's about what they need to survive as a family. So, but God has always provided for me. He always gives her enough money to keep giving to these, these places. I was a provision, obviously, for a while. But this is Alan Eubank and his wife. And uh, this book that I was reading out of is what he wrote. It's really good if you guys ever want to uh, take a journey down through that life that he lived there. It was really a, it's really a good read. So we flew into Chiang Mai that next day. May picked us up at the airport. We pile into this pickup. She borrowed a pickup. I'll get to that more. Um, there is a way you can help. Don't worry. I'll tell you. Um, so she borrowed this pickup. We all pile in this thing. She's driving. I'm a little scared because I'm sitting in the back seat there uh, in the back of that extended cab, and May is driving, and I am thinking, oh, boy, because um, over there they drive on the wrong side, by the way, and everything's a stick shift. So she drove for the first couple hours, and uh, we ended up on this mountain road in the night because it's getting dark. We're not going to get to this village till way late, and um, we're driving up this mountain. She stalls the truck on a quarter, which I was just waiting to happen. I have never seen anybody lug a diesel engine that bad. I mean, it was just like, Abe, you would have been laughing. I mean, it was just, I mean, it was barely going. I'm like, oh, this thing's going to die, and she did. She killed it right there. And she tried to get it going. Um, everything that was in the front of the truck ended up at the tailgate of the truck, including my kids, as she tried to jump the clutch to get us going on this hill. It didn't work. And I looked over and I said, May, do you want me to drive? I didn't want to offend her because she's quite a capable lady. And she's like, would you? I was like, yes. <laughs> so I got to drive. I was more than happy about that. Um, it is weird shifting with your left hand. I mean, the foot pedals, thankfully, are not reversed, but your left hand does do all the shifting. Well, I got the thing going, and we got going, and after that, she always, I was driving from then on out, and I, I thoroughly enjoy the challenge of driving on the wrong side of the road. So most of these mountain roads you don't know anyway. You're just on a one track. If you meet somebody, you try to remember to go to the right instead of the left, or the left instead of the right. See, I just did it backwards. Um, anyway, so this was our ride up there. Uh, oh, and by the way, on the way up there, May is like, we're talking, just catching up, just talking like 100 mile an hour. And she goes, oh, by the way, uh, I told pastor you preach tomorrow. <laughs> I said, May, I don't even preach in the U.S. She goes, oh, you'll do fine. <laughs> <laughs> she said, I interpret. Oh, I get that. Okay. I, I understood what May meant by that because I could say something really short in English and she'd go for five minutes in Korean. So I'm sure my messages were a lot better than what I was speaking. Um, she said, I have to make them understand. I said, good, very good job, May. Um, so the next morning we end up in this village. There is no electricity, by the way, up here. There's, you know, it's just uh, a village up on a mountainside. There's other villages around. 
they plant corn right up the sides of these mountains, and everything's by hand. So we end up in this village. I'm trying to study, crash study for preaching that morning, and um, I discovered that uh, <clears throat> I hadn't taken my big Bible, which I'll never do again. I will leave underwear behind before I leave my Bible behind again. Um, and I thought my wife, the confusion between my wife and I, I thought she had grabbed my smaller Bible, and here I am with my cell phone. There's nothing worse than prepping for a, for something with a cell phone. I'm and very little data, by the way, too. So I am like, oh, my mind was grinding for references so fast. Um, but anyway, God provided. Uh, the, the Spirit gave me utterance. But so Benny was running around. They were exploring in the next morning as we got to this village. And um, so as you see in the, in the middle picture right there above the blue, you see those bags. That is rice storage. This building here is also a storage. They kind of have it sealed off so they can put their provisions in there and keep it from bugs and everything. There's a lot of bugs over there, by the way. Um, uh, they keep everything enclosed so that way stuff can't get into their rice or whatever they're storing because they do have to store up enough stuff for the winter. Their places are immaculate. I mean, this, this is the pastor's home. The church is attached right to it. Um, I mean, it was so clean. You never wear your shoes inside, and I mean, this place is immaculately clean. Um, so the boys, we hung out in there a lot and different things. Um, this was that morning. My wife brought me coffee. I didn't even know they had coffee. And May, I get Soretta went downstairs. I'm crash studying. Soretta went downstairs, and May told Soretta, oh, I can't have, I can't start a morning without my coffee. And we are like, thank God for May, because she had brought a bunch of instant coffee. And I actually learned to quite enjoy that instant coffee by the time I left. I drank a lot of it. I, I was worse than Preston by the time I left with how much coffee I was drinking over there. But um, So I was standing up there. The view out of these windows, everything is handmade. They cut this lumber with a chainsaw turned sideways. I was asking them how they make their lumber because everything's built out of wood up there. I said, where's your sawmill? And eventually one of the guys said, you come with me. I'll show you my sawmill. I was like, good, and he, he like hauls me, and we walk down, all the whole family walk down, this is after church, go up this other thing, and he goes out, and he pulls out a chainsaw without a bar on it. He goes, sawmill. <laughs> I said, no, that's not a sawmill. <laughs> that's a chainsaw. Um, but that's what they do. That's what they use to make this lumber, and I mean, they have beautiful places made out of this wood, and these shutters, and the way they open, one locks into another, and the view is incredible. Um, the boys got all introduced, as you can see here, how everything is up on stilts. Um, there is, we wanted to sleep till seven or eight. The roosters wake up at four. <laughs> and they are the noisiest roosters. You know, there's that beautiful rooster that gets the perfect, but that's not the one that was under Brad. The one under Brad went, and it boldly did it. Like, I mean, it was like, thought it was the greatest thing ever. And I, these roosters were horrible. We never wanted a BB gun or a pellet gun so bad. I mean, we just wanted to shoot roosters. We got used to them by, a couple days later, we, would, we were sleeping right through the roosters. But boy, for a little bit there, it was definitely bad. Um, this is just more of a picture of where dogs everywhere, by the way. I don't know why Benny liked that one, but um, yeah, there's dogs everywhere. That's why we eat them. Um... <laughs> This is just another kind of picture down in there between their house and the church there. Um, this is where you ate inside that room there. I mean, the food these guys can prepare is amazing. They have nothing for a kitchen. 
it's just a back little hole, and I mean, they can make you so much food. Um, so this was the next morning. They love to sing, by the way. They sing the old hymns. They sing, you know, they're learning more choruses, different things, but they love to sing. Some of these I'll kind of cut short. Don't feel bad, or I'm not trying to cut them off, but I'll let you guys listen for a little bit, and then I'll cut it off and uh, kind of keep on going in the essence of time, because I am almost out of time, and I am... So they love to sing. So they have all their special music. On Sundays, they're up there doing these different things. Um, this was on the right there as when I was sharing that morning, and May was interpreting for me. And this here in the red shirt here is the pastor of the church there and his wife. That's their house that we were staying in. Um, very sweet men. And by the way, we look like giants over there. Um, <laughs> Abe, when you go over there with your cowboy boots on, you're going to look so tall. Um, so anyway, it's just like, yeah, it, we, I sat with him and through May and spoke with him and I asked him, what is your, like, what is the greatest need of your church here? Like, what do you see as the greatest shortcoming? And he said, just a, uh, a desire of uh, like a real desire for Christ. But he spoke of the families. See, they were blown away that we would come over as a family they're used to seeing people come, but it's just one guy or one uh, woman or maybe a couple, but never a family. That spoke volumes to him that we would come as a family with our children because the family is a shattered element in Thailand. And so that just spoke volumes to them. So to give you an understanding, like this village right here where we're at, they have a school that goes to like fourth grade, fifth grade maybe. Fourth to fifth grade. After that, the kids get sent out three hours away to live in a children's home and go to school. So can you see how the family's working? The kids are not even raised by their parents. And you'll see more of these children's homes as I go on through this of what that is presented. But I got to go back. Remember Alan Eubank? This very village we're in right here is a Christian village. Every, every home in that village is Christian. Uh, years ago, I think it was his grandmother, right? his great-grandmother, they were dying, the pastor's great-grandmother, they were dying in this village. They were always sick, sickly. They were dying. They were not doing well. And they were spirit worshipers. And they heard about a white man that could tell them things to make them better, that they wouldn't die from sickness anymore. And so they traveled like three days to find this white man and ask him to come to this village. It was Alan Eubank. He came to that village, and the whole village got saved, came to know Jesus. That village is a Christian village there because of that to this day. And they said immediately, we stopped dying. <laughs> Not dying. They still died, but they stopped dying from possession of uh, evil spirits possessing them and also from just being sick all the time. So this is what God is doing. So I get to, I get to see the witness, the fruit of that by going years later and being at this village and being very blessed by the church that is there. Uh, this pastor also, you know, he just said that the drugs are really becoming a problem in, even in their village there. Um, it didn't really show up that much until COVID. But when all these workers came back, 
during COVID because they had no place to go. There was no place for them to work. When they all came back, the young men and all that, back into the villages, well, they brought their drugs. And then they got so many of the older men and the leaders of their homes there in that village addicted to drugs also, even some whole families, women. So that is kind of what is going on there. Just This man has such a heart for God. I just I can't understand him face-to-face -face, but through an interpreter, but... I love talking to him. Like I was just so blessed by the leadership that he presented. Um, bamboo sticky rice. Can't wait to present this to whoever comes over there and takes a mission trip with me over there sometime. They take sticky rice. They put it down in these bamboo because bamboo has its own stopper in it, right underneath, because it grows in sections. So they pour. They put this sticky rice. They keep stuffing it down these bamboo things. It's not an easy process. They pour it down in there, and then they pour this like a sweet um, water down in there, and then they cook it over a fire, as you can see here, and then you, after it burns and sizzles and pops and cracks and everything else, you shave this thing open, and I mean, what you eat out of there is, yeah, it puts mango sticky rice, it's right in that same realm. I mean, it's really amazing. It was really sweet, because they really wanted us to have this um, there. Over on the left, you can kind of see where up where we were sleeping up above there in our rooms, and um, yeah, we had we had just such beautiful accommodations. By the way, Justin, this is one of the villages where I want to take the team. This is where I want to go to church that Sunday. By the way, I'm planning to take a youth the youth group over there in November to put a roof on a chapel there. And so these guys are kind of seeing a little glimpse of where we're going to be and stuff. But I want to go up to this uh, pastor's house up there, stay there. There's plenty of room for us all and be there and be there on a Sunday with uh, the people there at that church. And hopefully they'll make us bamboo sticky rice. Maybe that's the whole reason I want to go back. I'm not, I'm not sure yet. Um, this man here on the left, uh, they're riding, watching Blake ride a water buffalo. Um, Blake was getting into like uh, veggie tales. Everybody needs a water buffalo, you know. Um, but uh, he was the one that showed me a sawmill, and he's also the husband of this lady here on the right. And they were just such a sweet couple um, with what God was doing through them and has done through them. I just I could have spent a lot of time with them too. And he ran us all around Sunday afternoon, and I got told I had to preach Sunday evening too. Um, and, and then he's running us all over. I have no time to prepare. I have nothing. And I'm like, oh boy, now what do I do? Because I knew a lot of the same people the night, that night we were going to a startup church that they were starting in another village. And I knew a lot of the same people were going to be there that had been there Sunday morning. I couldn't share the same thing again. And, um, so, uh, I had asked May, I said, um, can I share my testimony? And May was, I had shared my testimony quite extensively with May on the drive up that night. And she said, I think that would be very good. So uh, that is what I did that, that night. Um, this is again. Um, so. You don't have to listen to my bass anymore. Um, so we went to that village that night. They're starting a church. They were having the ordination for the minister there, I believe, in two or three weeks after we were there. They really wanted us to be there. I would have loved to have been there, um, but it wasn't working with what we had planned. Um, but just really sweet that they're starting another church. And it was a Buddhist, uh, it was a Buddhist um, community. So we went down into this. This is that village, and most of them are Buddhist. So 
I don't think you can really pick it out, but the Buddhist kids and the spirit worship kids usually wear a white string around their wrist to ward off, is it right hand? To ward off evil spirits. So you can always tell the Buddhist kids. And so we were in there. The kids were passing out balloons to all the kids. They jumped on that. I mean, they got to be, you know, they're right away your friend if you got a balloon. And um, we were over in another place praying for another lady in one of the houses uh, off to the left here while they were passing out balloons and stuff. Um, so then after that Sunday we were there, then uh, um, we left there, and we went down to Revival Children's Home. It's about a two-and-a-half-hour ride down a road with about this much dust in it. My boys were yellow when we got there. They weren't white anymore. They were yellow from the dust. It was quite, quite interesting. This is, actually where we're, this is actually the chapel we need to put a new roof on. So you've seen this one already. I mean, you've seen this picture of this building already. But um, I, I was messaging Judd while I was over there. I was doing a lot of texting back and forth with Judd, like, can we put a roof on this thing quick? Um, so this is actually Revival Children's Home Blessing, who is May's daughter. This is where she lives here. Um, the leader of this place, of this children's home here, is called Gulalat, is his name. He is a worship leader, uh, music guy that, like, he uh, arranges music, I guess you could say. He can play every instrument. The guy can sing. Um, maybe I could put some on during lunch or something. I can put a, a video on of him singing. Um, he has stuff on YouTube and stuff. But even, like, there's, did you know we have over 3,000 Korean that live in Greeley? So David Hale, who many of us would know David Hale, he goes to a church that shares their building with the Korean. So one of these days, I want to go over there and actually get to know some of the Korean brothers and sisters here in Greeley. Um, so anyway, Golalot would even have everybody from the U.S., even if they create or write a song, they send it to Golalot, and he arranges it, writes it, you know, puts music to it or whatever. He's very well known. But he chooses to live in this village, and what he is doing is teaching these young people. Uh, this is just more pictures of not their village, but just this uh, children's home. That's where we would eat. Um, boy, that took a while. Um, again, they've fed us everything and whatever. So they would... Uh, I'll get to him in a little bit. Sorry, I'm jumping ahead of my slideshow here. Um, this was kind of being right there. We were staying... May, of course, knows every, I told you, she knows every children's home and every need. So she's right away. We need, there's like these three different children's homes. She wanted to get toothbrushes and soap and uh, shampoo and um, different things that the kids needed or, you know, the young people needed. So uh, we went into town, went into like uh, their version of a Costco. It's about the size of this room. Um, and we bought a bunch of bulk stuff. And then we sat there and organized all these packages for um, these children. I don't even know where they all ended up. We just, I know where some of them did, but, um, and then a lot of the kids got different toothbrushes. Like I said, they live in these places, but their parents really have very little money to give to these places to support their kids going to school. So if you end up in a good place, which is why Blessing lives at this place, is because of Golalot teaching there. Maine knows Golalat. She's part, he's part of her team of five that work in and out of Burma. And so she trusts him, and that's why she wants her children there. Her other son, one of her other sons, also lives here. Um, they took us down to a, uh, a, their version of a swimming pool. It was so hot, by the way, sometimes during those days. I mean, we would sweat like crazy. They took us down. It's a fresh spring running right out of the mountain. It runs into this pool. 
and you can go in there and swim or whatever. Um, that's where the boys were sleeping there on the right. Um, they actually have little pads. So they've upgraded since 20 years ago when I was there. They actually have pads now. We used to sleep on the rice mats. Uh, I don't see any rice mats, but that wasn't anything. They actually have pads now. Um, what? This? Oh, for anybody here, are you guys having trouble seeing? Oh, I can't see my own screen then, but okay, I'll try. Um, so anyway, that's where they were sleeping there. Um, again, this is very good possibility. This is where most of the youth will get to know. So this is the chapel again that we want to go put a roof on. And what Golalot is doing there is he's teaching these young people. He has services with them evening, uh, morning and evening, and he is teaching them to lead worship to... A, he wants them to go back into their villages and be worship leaders, um, teaching music and leading them in that way. So um, he grew up in a refugee camp. He came out of Burma. He remembers at six years old swimming the river to Thailand, living in a refugee camp, loved music, became a Christian, and ended up doing this. So this is what he is doing. This kind of gives you a glimpse into life there. Oh, by the way, I had to preach again twice. Um, I even got my wife in on that one, though, um, to these young people every evening um, there. So this was handing out the shoes. By the way, that nice pair of sneakers you uh, gave Talitha was quite the item. They weren't fighting over it, but they were all eyeing it very carefully. And they have small feet, so it worked perfectly, by the way. I think it fit most of the girls there. Um, so this is the song, kiddos, if you can follow along with this. Try this one. I can't do it. Brad can't either. getting it as well. The girls nailed it. And my wife loves her voice at the end. Sorry, honey, I forgot to flip it quick. Um, so this is Gola Lot here that is playing the keyboard here. And, and he is playing here with different... He said it's he said, it's, it never ends, because he said, about the time I get them trained and we got a really good band, they leave. <laughs> and he said, I start all over. <laughs> but he was working so hard there that I just love his heart. And, uh, and by the way, this is uh, the other man that we are inviting here um, to come this summer, hopefully with Blessing and her dad, to come here and share. I would love it if he could come here and even lead us in worship some Sunday morning. He speaks very good English, and um, yeah, so... <laughs>
So that's what he's doing there. And I mean, the guy just has such a heart. So he actually took off the morning we left. He had left earlier than us with his wife who was on his right or on his left. Um, Blake is not his wife. Um, so that's his wife. They left and they went and took a trip into Burma. They were doing something in there, working in with the villages and stuff. So that is what they do on their side in that. But um, yeah, many of the Korean, they love their own people. And it's amazing how they work right into with their people. They have nothing, very little, and yet they give like crazy even back into Burma, into their own people. They just have a heart to help their own people. Um, this was another children's home about 30 minutes away. Um, it's also right next to where Blessing goes to school, but um, May wants Blessing to, she has to ride the bus 30 minutes each way because he, she wants Blessing to live at Golalot's children's home. So... We went there. They needed a, uh, a lean-to here to, uh, to keep their laundry dry during the rainy season. They had no place to hang their laundry and let it dry. So we built a small lean-to there out of tin and metal, and I uh, learned how to weld very thin. I don't know if I actually learned how to. I managed. Yeah, it wasn't very prosperous. Yeah, it didn't look as good as theirs. Anyway, it was very thin metal, and I had fun trying to weld it. And uh, so we built that little lean-to off to the side of that. They cooked us a meal there that night. Um, say, what? Oh, they, I'm sorry, my family was cooking for them. I think I was working on the lean-to, and you guys were all doing the cooking. Um, but yeah, that's right. May and my boys and my wife, they all chopped everything and put it in this pot. That big old pot there, May stuck something in there at the end. I about died. It went in there, and it came out, and whatever was in that steam, I couldn't get my breath. I was sitting there, <laughs> and May was just laughing. Oh, she thought that was so funny. I'm glad my wife didn't put that one in here. Um, this is Blessing School. She took us on a tour of her school. I think there's uh, 3,000 youth that go there. So I believe she is one of the few Christians that go to this school. Um, a couple weeks after we left... Uh, her teachers don't like her. She's top of every class. She has got the best grades in the school, but her teachers won't let her. They only let the students who are Buddhist and who she tutors have the best grades. So that they always put her like third or fourth. They don't want her, they don't allow her to be the best because she's a Christian. But a couple weeks after we left, uh, they went on a field trip. And by the way, she's very loved in her school. I mean, there's people all over. I mean, everybody wants to talk to her, wave at her. Um, and... Anyway, they went on a field trip, and she, uh, they went to a Buddhist something, and the teachers told them that the whole school had to kneel before this Buddhist, Buddha. And she said, no, I can't. I'm a Christian. And he said, or she said, if you don't, then you have to do 100 push-ups in front of the school. And so she did 100 push-ups in front of the school because she would not kneel to Buddha. Um, incredible young lady that just loves the Lord. Her heart is to just serve her people in life. That's what she wants to do. She wants to do what her mom's doing. Uh, this is that children's home that we built the lean-to on that evening. This is where they sit. They roll out the rice mat. That's your table. And they're all laughing at me because I can't sit like that. Um, as you can see.
my knees don't go down. They just sit up, and Rennie's laughing because he can make his do anything. Um, mine don't work that way. So we sat there. We ate with them that night. The, um, they sang a beautiful song for us. We uh, also gave them some food. This is a very poor children's home. So the man you see with the guitar holding the guitar, his wife is right there to, uh, to the right of him. Uh, she is, it was her due date that day. Um, they had a little boy since then. But uh, they were so excited because the little girl in the white in the middle there, that is their little girl. So they really wanted a little boy, and God blessed them with a little boy a couple days later. Um, he has since messaged us on Facebook. Um, look forward to going back and seeing them too. But they, they get nothing for being there. They have no, I mean, they have nothing. This place is what they're there. They're teaching these children. This is, again, children from all over the villages that are coming in there and going to school. So they're taking care of them. As a Christian couple, they're taking their, and they're teaching these kids about Jesus. You know, they're, they're raising them up to as much as they can to know God. And, um, but they have nothing. They don't get paid. They don't, not, they just, they, they survive. That's what they do. And, um, so anyway, this is that couple there, but they sang this beautiful song, they teach them. I'm sorry, Mom, I'm in your way. beautiful song and that's what they're doing there um this is a picture of all of us there that evening um that was the lean-to we built nothing hard but it took all day um we could have done that with some two by fours and nails in about 10 minutes they weld everything everything on their trusses everything is welded together it's all steel so it's just yeah they don't have they don't use wood there in the lower down in the villages there and so that's what they're doing. They're starting more and more to use the sheet metal instead of their old style tile, whatever kind of things on there. They're starting to use more and more sheet metal. That's what they want us to put on that chapel over there too. Um, this was May and her husband came down. They uh, met us down in, or yeah, they met us in Chiang Mai that night, but this is later on. Okay, so we left there then. Um, a couple days later, we were leaving there. We drove three and a half hours back across the mountain, and it is a mountain again. I mean, it's blacktop, but that's about it. And we drove across there and got down into Chiang Mai again. And then uh, the boys, of course, rode in the back of the truck. Blake got heat stroke after that day because of being in the back of the truck so long that day. Because we got down to Chiang Mai, met with the ashes, and right away went up to the Sticky Falls, about another hour and a half up into the mountains, um, with some old friends of mine that I used to know, Matt King's, who happened to be visiting over there at the same time, and I would have went uh, on a mission trip with him back when I was 18 years old. Um, 
This is called Sticky Waterfalls. You guys can't really see how much. It's a long, I don't know how many hundred yards long waterfall up this mountain. But you can walk. It's sticky. You can run up these. With the water running, you can run right up these rocks. It's, I'd never experienced that before. It was really cool. So the boys got to go running up down waterfall. It felt very refreshing to be in some water. Um, this was our house that we had rented in Chiang Mai. Um, eating street food. Again, I mean, we went into McDonald's, we took one look at the prices, and we walked down the street and ate for, I mean, a fraction. Because if you go to McDonald's, it costs about what it does here, not quite. It's about $8 a meal probably, U.S. there. If we go down here, I can, I can feed the whole family here very well. We are very well fed for uh, less than like $10, $8. And we love the Thai food anyway, so that worked out great for us. And we're always like, spicy? And they go, no, 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 we don't put spice in for you. No, we want spicy. You want spicy? Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> then, they, then they watch you as you eat it because they're not sure you can actually eat it. And you're like, oh, yeah, okay. Um, it's kind of like a portage or whatever. You put it, uh, you, they have it in a bag and you crack an egg right into it and it cooks the egg. It's so hot it cooks the egg inside the portage. Amazing food, by the way. Um, this was just kind of running around Chiang Mai, tourist kind of stuff, uh, fruit. I mean, the fruit smoothies are worth going there for, if nothing else, because everything is fresh. It's picked right away, and then they make these fruit smoothies for about 25 to 40 baht, which is, less, I mean, 75 cents to $1.20 U.S. for these fruit smoothies. That is soap up there in the middle. They carve that by hand. They sit there, and they take these uh, balls, round balls of wax, basically, and they carve all this out of them, and then they paint it all. Um, Taipei Gate is... Uh, just kind of a tourist attraction. It's the old city. It's the old city gate there that we went to. Um, of course, um, roti. You got to eat roti. Um, it's again. It's just some of those things you got to experience. I don't know what Brad is eating, but he's very happy about it. Uh, I I think I spent most of my life just finding food for the boys over there. It was like. They were always hungry and always looking, but there's food on every corner. I came back home and it's like, oh my goodness, I got to get off an exit to find food. Like there's, it's just everywhere. There's a cart somewhere, something to get food. Um, and we ate a lot of food. I'm not sure what Blake has in front. It's got something with mango and something there. Uh, Benny's eating a very standard like chicken on a stick. You eat that with sticky rice. It's a very standard thing. Or maybe that was beef. Was that beef? Okay, coffee, it's a store, lots of stuff, find it. Um, okay, so the next thing is when in Burma. By the way, I'm going to might have to just cut all this off. Uh, I'll get through Burma here at least. So we had left May, but she had said, hey, if you guys want to go into Burma, I think I'm going to take a trip into Burma. I reached out to a pastor if you guys want to go. I said, absolutely. So we were in Chiang Mai. So... Rented a vehicle, and because Blake had heat stroke, him and Serata stayed back in Chiang Mai and had their own adventure. Um, and we, I took off with the two oldest boys, and we went down to uh, the Burma border where I had showed you we went into Burma. We stayed there with a pastor who is starting a ch- has started a church. He's got a beautiful little church there, and he is uh, reaching into the Buddhist community around him as an evangelist there with that. So we took supplies, and of course, we got to take... If we're going into any village, we've got to take food in. So May wasn't sure what the state of this village was. and um, But we took a bunch of vegetables and stuff in. Um, this is riding on the boat. Um, 
That is just some of the uh, vegetables and stuff on the boat as we were loading up, getting going in there. This is their school building. They won't meet in that building because the Burmese government is targeting these with bombs. They are dropping airstrikes on these school buildings during the school days because they know they're full of kids. So they don't meet in those school buildings anymore. They're too scared to in the last couple of years. So this is where they're meeting. Now, this is where I get excited about Burma and what God is doing because this is their school under a tent camouflaged in the jungle. They had, uh, when we went in there, you could see the three, wish I had a pointer, the three in the back there above May's head, there's three ladies standing there. That's the teachers. Um, they are uh, Christian ladies, um, younger ladies from further into Burma that were educated. They went through university, got their degrees, and they are teaching kids in this village. The beauty of it is, is they are, they are teaching the Buddhist kids and the spirit-worshiping kids too, and they're teaching them the gospel as they're doing it. They're doing the exact opposite of the U.S. schools. They are teaching them about God as they're doing this. So that is exciting to me because it's reversing it. And their village, these kids are taking the gospel back to their homes, to their families, and they're presenting their families. And their families are getting saved because of this. And villages are coming to know Jesus because of teachers like this teaching children about God who otherwise would never uh, hear about it in that way. Um, they reached out to us a couple days or a couple weeks after we left. They reached out and asked through May if uh, I would be willing to support them. And I asked them what that looked like. They said, well, we have one whiteboard and we'd like a couple more and we'd like some markers and we'd like some pen and papers. So I asked May, I said, well, how much? She said, I don't know, I'll ask. So a little while later, I hear back from May. Well, they're asking for 3,000 baht comes to the equivalent of $96. That's what they needed to enable them to present the gospel to young children. Pretty incredible. I love that. That, is, that, that grabbed my heart probably more than anything else there. Yeah. To kill the Korean. The Burmese government, they're a different ethnic group than what the Korean are. They're the, Mo, uh, they're the Mo people. And their desire is to kill the Korean. They're just, they're a different ethnic group. They don't, they don't like them. It's no different than the Sudis, you know, over in uh, Arab, you know, the Arab groups. They just target each other. And so they've just always used the Korean as kind of where they go to rape, pillage, and uh, murder people. And it's free reign on the Korean people. But the government is trying their best to eradicate the Korean people and to push them out of their lands that are there. Yeah, kind of the same idea. Um, so, yeah, pushed them into the canyon, and that's where they still are, you know. So um, we took some cookies and stuff in there to the school there. Um, they sang us a song. Um, this is the village there in that town. We uh, went around, traveled around. We hung out there um, with the different villagers. Um, this was their, uh, on the left there is their thatch for their roofs. They're drying it and getting it prepped to put on a roof. May loves squirrel, by the way. That is not alive. That is a dead squirrel. They call it a rat over there. So they trap these things and then they they kill it, but may love squirrels, so what they do for squirrels, they just put it on a long toothpick, basically, and they put it in the fire, and just it just roasts all the hair and everything off, and then they dice it up really, 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 really fine, and then you eat it with rice and different things, so um, 
they wouldn't let us eat it. I don't know why. Um, May wouldn't let, she just didn't think we needed to try that. But she loves squirrels, so she bought a squirrel back there. She was so happy to have a squirrel. Um, this little guy here, the pastor that I was telling you about, he's actually the one there in the green shirt sitting there eating. Um, this little guy, the pastor had been in there about a week and a half earlier in that village and had fed that little guy some food. So he followed the pastor right out of the village when he left. Followed him right down the river, jumped on the boat with him, went home. And I guess his parents understood that he was gone. <laughs> um, they knew the pastor, so I guess they, they, I think he phoned back or somehow he left them know that he had their kid, which they were fine with. Like I said, the families are in shambles. They don't really care. They're having a hard enough time feeding them or taking care of them. So he was with the pastor. We were at the pastor's house that night before, and he wouldn't have nothing to do with us. But he warmed up to us by the time we got to the river and on the boat and stuff. And he was quite the little guy. What was his name, Brad? Japaye? Jabaye. Jabaye. I can't ever get Anyway, they were teaching him English. They were having a blast with him. Um, I was, they always wonder what I do. And I tell them I do logging. I do, like, I have log trucks. And so May was so excited. She wanted to show me a Burma log truck. Uh, this is a Burma log truck. It is, you stick a log on that thing and two guys, you balance it on there and then two guys push and you balance this thing around as you push it around. Anyway, they were having fun with that. This is the bomb that missed the village. They tried to hit that village. They missed. And this was the crater left by that bomb. Um, some of the trees, oh my goodness, there are some beautiful, beautiful trees back there. I am a logger. I love trees. My wife said I took more pictures of trees than the village. Um, Javier again with them. Um, they, when we got out towards the river, when we were about done with our trip in there, the pastor wanted to give us a drink, so he got us some warm Coke. Um, this, uh, the little guy here, he, I think, has eight kids, a couple twins, and uh, I think somebody just adopted the twins. I forget who it was. Uh, in the Thai side there. This is what happens to a village. This happened to a village about a mile away from here, the village we were just in, uh, about four days after we left. This happened to a village uh, about a couple miles away from the village we were in. Uh, of course, their rice stores get destroyed, which is their food to make it through. I think seven people died in this in this bomb. Um but yeah, this is what it looks like when they actually score a hit on one of the villages. They have about 10 minutes warning. They do have some warnings set up when the uh, aircraft take off, but they have no idea where it's going. When it leaves the airport, the Air Force there in Burma, it's about 10 minutes till the plane is there dropping a bomb. So they really have no idea where it's headed. But that kind of is what Burma is, that is what is going on there with Burma and the Korean people on that side. Um, I'm going to try to breeze through some of the rest of this really fast. Um, we met then the Eshes, Lloyd Eshes there on the left, right in front of me there, and Mary Ellen Eshes third down on the back. We're somehow related to them. We don't know because they are Eshes, so we figure we are. Um, but they're from Pennsylvania. They moved over there 11 years ago with their family of seven kids. They have lived there ever since. The Abby is the girl there on the left. She's the only one left. She's 16 years old. She's basically grown up there, doesn't really know much or like the U.S. that much. Um, she loves the Thai. She speaks very fluent Thai. And she is just constantly reaching out into the university that they live next to, to youth. And that is her mission, is to just 
bring these people to Christ. She gets to know them, becomes friends with them, and uh, shares the gospel with them. Um, she's 16 years old, by the way, so you're never too young to start. Um, this was that night. We just kind of met with some of their team that was there, and we uh, were sharing and praying together, singing together um, that night. Some of the other missionaries that live around there, that's Mary Ellen and them. Strawberries were fresh and wonderful. Oh, so good. So we went, so Lloyd, his, Lloyd, what Lloyd is doing there is he is, uh, how do you want to say, uh, kind of guiding and directing leaders in the churches. He's trying, to, he's trying to give them the tools to be able to be good leaders in their churches. Um, they call him their church father. He doesn't really like that term because he just wants to blend into the crowd, but he's behind the scenes uh, really supporting these pastors to teach them how to be spiritual leaders in their churches. So there's seven churches he's doing that with. So we wanted to go to church with them, and they told us where to go, and we thought we arrived in the wrong church. You all have no idea why. Anyway, so we were like, are we, because they weren't there yet, and we were like, are we in the wrong church? Something's going on. I mean, it was busy, busy, busy. But you got to understand, and Lloyd tried to, he was explaining this to me. It was Valentine's Day that day, so they were so excited. I mean, this is a reason to, any reason to celebrate, they take it. They love it. And so this was a reason to celebrate. He was explaining to me, he was pointing out different, uh, so many of the people in church, first-generation Christian, first-generation Christian, 16-year-old first-generation Christian, 14-year-old first-generation Christian. These are people that have just come to know Jesus. They are just, they're, they're growing in their faith. And this is their only church family. Is the only people they know. They're in Buddhist homes. They have no other family. This is their support. So when they come there on Sunday, it's their whole day thing. They come there for the whole day. And there is no such thing as time constraints because this is where they want to be with their church family for that day. Because that's their encouragement. That's their growth. That's their spiritual life that they get to experience. It's really encouraging to see that. Even if it goes against everything we understand of how church operates and does, I mean, it's a full festive all day long. We left and the festivities were still going full wide open um, while eating lunch and the mic was never silent. And I mean, every, every lady, even Jemiah could get up and sing there and nobody would complain, which Jemiah disappeared. Um, anyway, so this was the last time we got to see May and... Um, Said goodbye to her. They were down in, like I said, in Chiang Mai buying supplies for that ladies' retreat. And we got to see her one last time. And then we jumped on a bus. Or no. I guess we were running around the uh, elephant camp. Got that a little bit disorganized. Elephants are kind of fun. They, did you know they can paint? The elephant actually painted those tulips. That was pretty cool to watch. Um, we did some zip lines. Had fun with that. I was so proud of my wife and Benny for zipping over canyons very deep. We took a bus down to Sukhothai. That was interesting all in itself. Uh, the bathrooms over there are not like Western bathrooms, and the buses' bathrooms are definitely not like Western bathrooms. Um, we couldn't find a way to get a ride to where we needed to go. That was what we ended up on. Um, there was not a lot of public transportation around um, or tourist transportation around Sukhothai. Uh, this was the, this was actually would have been the base of the old Thai kingdom. That was where it all started for Thailand. That was the base of it there. So we kind of toured around some of the old ruins there. 
Um, our mode of transportation was motorbike. As you can see, there's four in a bike. And, I mean, we would have the ties looking at us like crazy because they're not used to seeing fadongs do this. Fadongs is foreigners or whatever they call us. Um, but, yeah, because we would ride around four in a bike like that, they thought that was quite crazy. But we left Serretta and Brandon ride two on a bike as we rode four on a bike. Our purpose of going there to Sukhothai was the Bonte M. Children's Home. Um, we had, Serretta had met um, Casey, the lady here, uh, through a via Facebook and what they were doing there. I think I had sent a link around on the church via uh, church link there to read up on them, but they had, uh, they moved over there about three and a half years ago, I think, and they started, they didn't know what they were going, they felt God had called them to Thailand, they went to Thailand, um, they weren't sure what they were going to do, within weeks of being there, somebody came up with two kids off the streets in Bangkok and said, would you take care of these two children, that started, and they have 28 children now, the most organized, disciplined children's home I've, I think I've ever seen, it was amazing what they're doing there. And that is just where they're serving um, and where God has placed them. They have definitely learned some lessons and some interesting experiences along the way. The first two kids they had, they were down in the old city where I just showed you pictures of one evening because there was a festival going on. They're walking through. They had just gotten these kids, and these kids in Thai are screaming for help. Help, help, because, you know, they're trying to make it look like they were kidnapped because they just wanted anything to get out of these their clutches. Um, because they weren't liking already some of the things they were doing. They were just wild street urchins from Bangkok. They have no parents. They have nothing. I mean, they do, but nobody knows who they are. And so they said God knew what he was doing. He gave them the worst two first so that everything seemed better after that. They are, they're so interesting. God, I just love what God is doing through them and with that place there. Uh, it was really exciting to be there. We went to church with them that one day. And... Um, they are even down to the littlest two-year-old. They wash their own dishes. They clean up after themselves. It is so tidy around that place. It is amazing. These are some of the little kiddos there that, I mean, and yeah, I mean, that little girl there in the red pants, I mean, she was doing her own, I mean, she's up there on a stool. They have special tool stools so they can get up and wash their plates in the sink when they're done eating and put their stuff away. Um, when I did go to get a drink, they did advise me to possibly maybe wash my glass because one of the little kids might have done it and not very well. Um, playing with them, just, yeah, it was, really a, it was really a sweet time to see what God had done. They said nobody ever stops in when they say they're going to, but we did, I guess. Um, sorry, I'm as long-winded as I'll get out. When I actually thought about how many slides ahead. I knew this was going to be a problem. Um, so after we left Sukhothai, we took a uh, vehicle back down to Bangkok. Brad decided to get really sick, and this is where our uh, vacation part of our thing was really supposed to happen. And we all got really sick. God knew that we needed to really get some trials done and over with. Serata loves to carry a lot of backpacks and coffee. Um, we went down to Khao Chang, which is down in southern Thailand. It was kind of more of a vacation resort area down there not the real popular one. This is how they haul pineapples. Um, these little pickups, they beef them up, and they put so many springs and everything underneath these little pickups. Uh, this is the size of a uh, the older Toyota T100s is basically what that is, and they load them things up. May said this is the biggest accident vehicle on the road because it tips over all the time. It goes around a corner, and that's where it stays. If you want to go on a vacation, these places are gorgeous, by the way. Um, 
The boys got to learn and experience paddleboarding. And they also got to experience Thai haircuts. <laughs> the guy was having so much fun. He couldn't speak English, but at the end of it, he just, would, he just sprayed their hair with a different color. They didn't know what they were getting. They didn't ask for it. They didn't know what they were doing. But that's what they ended up looking like. <laughs> Made life a little more interesting for all of us. Um, that was just kind of looking out over our resort. That was where we got to eat um, our evening meals. And that was our view from breakfast, sitting there eating breakfast. I mean, it's pretty hard not to praise the Lord in the morning when you're eating breakfast at a buffet, um, and you have that view. So that is, that is the last slide, but that is what God is doing over there, and I hope you guys can understand and see the heart behind these Korean people and what God is doing, and I hope you guys can get excited with us. Um, the goal is to take the youth group, like I said, over there in November, and... I know everybody keeps asking, are we moving? What are we doing? And um, I guess I want to share a scripture with you, if you can bear with me for just a couple more minutes. Um, uh, I'm going to get to the wrong one because i got to remember my stuff here again. Nope, I knew it. Okay. We loved being over there, and I guess this is, I, I don't know how else to put it, where we're at as a family. We're praying about where God wants us. Does God want us to keep doing what we're doing here, do something different here? Does he want us to be there? And this is kind of where we're at. Um, Jesus told the disciples about the cost of disciples, about the cost of discipleship. He said, for which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and it is not able to be finished, all who see begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. I'm not saying I'm renouncing everything I have. That's not my message with that. But counting the cost, and I think that's really where we're at as a family. We're counting that cost. We're praying about, God, is this a possibility for us? Is this this what you want us to do? And I hope that you guys, as a church family especially, can pray with us in this, that God would show us how, where, and what it looks like for us. It's not about us it's about him as john the baptist said i must decrease so that he may increase that is what it is in my heart right now is i see so much that god has so much more work to do in me but i want to decrease as god is increasing in my life and then i hope that as as we're praying as we're seeking god in these things that god will show himself faithful to show us what his plan is for us in these things thank you Uh, where God leads, never give up.
Lunch is ready. Please do uh, stay. 